If we want to change the future, then we must disturb the present. That's one of the things that one of my spiritual fathers, uh, Dr. Sexton, was known for saying. And we have taken this year and had a theme throughout many of our sermon series about making a difference, where if you want to see something different, if you want to see something different in your life, then you're going to have to do something different. If we want to see something different, we have to do something different. If you want a different harvest, you got to sow different seed. And so the idea is we've talked about making a difference uh, in your own personal walk with God. We've talked about making a difference in your home. We've talked about making a difference in your church. And we begin as we've gotten to the end of the year. Oh, junior church. I, I, one of these times you're all going to forget. All 20 some of you at this time. Junior church can be dismissed. Grades one through six. Dave, I got a little bit of a ring coming from somewhere, and I'm not sure if it's me or... Anybody else hear a ring? A little tone? Anybody hear a tone? Oh, no, I'm crazy? No, you hear it? Okay. I mean, I still might be crazy, but thank you for that. It is not too late, though, as we round sort of the end of the year, it is not too late to still reap a different harvest by making a difference. And now we talk about our community. Almost everyone comes to a point where they, they want their life to matter. Some people, they, they come to that point in a different time. Some people, it hits them younger than others, and some people, it, um, it hits them later on in life. But is it, is it too much to say that we would like to change the world? How many of you had a phase in your life where you thought, boy, I can, I can change the world. Anybody have a, a time like that? Maybe when you were younger and you thought, this, this can be different. You can change the world. And you, perhaps you're older now, and, and how many of you get the idea that you can, you can still change the, the entire world? Right? A, a couple of them? A little bit? A little bit? What about changing the world for a person? What about changing an individual's world? When God starts talking about the world or the whole earth, he's not talking about the tectonic plates. He's not talking about the climate and the weather system. And he's not talking about the trees and the bugs. When he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he's talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the men and women and boys and girls. And so if we're going to make a difference in our community, it is not going to be making things more beautiful. It is not going to be making things more convenient. It's not going to be uh, making things more prosperous without making a difference in the lives of individuals, in the lives of people. This is how we make a difference. It might be in our neighbors' lives, in our friends or coworkers, acquaintances from hobbies or sports, even at the doctor's office. And so we ask ourselves, if that's how you make a difference, is that even possible for us to do? And if so, how do we do it? Well, we're going to visit one of Jesus's most famous sermons today in Matthew chapter 5. And he has some answers for us in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 13, the word of God says this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We ask now that your spirit would guide us into that truth, that you'd give us understanding, ears to hear, deliver us from all the distractions that might be out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is preaching to a large crowd that has come out of the cities onto the the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And and for a moment, I want you to imagine that um, the people are more down towards the the hills as they come down towards where the water is. And Jesus is more up towards the top. and, And he's speaking and the natural acoustics of it make it a great place. If you've ever had a chance to visit the, the Bible lands, it's a beautiful garden where they planted now with flowers everywhere where they think that the Sermon on the Mount was given. Maybe that was the exact spot, maybe it isn't. But if you look all around that area, you've got hills coming up from the Sea of Galilee. We know that this would have been similar to where it is. And there's people all around. And there's people that have, are excited to hear what Jesus says. There's people that are skeptical about what Jesus has to say. There's people who are there trying to find reason to destroy Jesus through his words. And so you have a very mixed crowd. And now Jesus, in this sermon, is telling people how they can exchange their earthly ideas for heavenly ones. How they can go from how they think they ought to live to how God is really calling them to live. And so Jesus uses stories or metaphors oftentimes to help people understand heavenly truths by using earthly things that they know about. So he says in verse number 13, ye are the salt of the earth. Everybody knows what salt is, so it's an easy tool to teach with. Now, perhaps we don't think about it as much nowadays. Now we're careful about our salt, right? We're worried about our sodium intake. But salt was absolutely necessary for life in Bible times. It was something that they used in order to keep their meat from spoiling too long. And your body, of course, needs the nutrients that are inside of salt and salty products. Also, it was known as something that not just preserves, but also purifies. How many of you have ever heard the phrase to rub salt in a wound? How many of you, you've ever, well, you just rub salt in it, right? It makes it worse. Well, what is that? Well, there's stinging. If you've ever experienced, um, uh, lately, the most common thing you probably experience is when you had a cut on your hand and didn't know it, and you used hand sanitizer. And you're like, oh, it's there. The same thing happens if you ever go into salt water, right? If you happen to be on an ocean and you go in, you realize where you may have a cut. What is that? That stinging is that, is that purifying aspect of it. Also, religiously, in people's minds, it has to do with purification. As we said, there's no refrigerators, and so they had to purify their food somehow to preserve it. And it also makes food more palatable, doesn't it? A little bit of salt used at the right time. And of course, there's, there's too much salt. How many of you have ever seen your child grab the salt shaker and immediately you were nervous? Because you cook this meal and you put it down for them and they're about to go boom like that and cover it. It's going to be nasty. And they're like, oops, it's too much. And they're trying to scoop it off, right? A little bit goes a long way. Salt also makes people thirsty. And so all of these ideas, all of these ideas are what Jesus was trying to put into the minds of people when he talked about them being the salt, that they were going to make a difference. Even a little bit, even if you don't have a lot, a little bit can make a great difference. Perhaps you've had that experience where you met somebody. Maybe that's why you're in church this morning. You met somebody and there was something different about them. There was something different about them. They, they changed 
the, the atmosphere when they walked into a room. A lot of people complain, but they, they weren't complaining. A lot of people were worried, but they didn't seem to have the same fears. A lot of people were always talking about um, behind people's backs and gossiping, but they wouldn't be a part of that. And when you needed something, they were there for you, and, and they offered to pray for you about things, and you, and you thought to yourself, what is the deal with her? What is the deal with him? Why are they like this? Everyone else is worried about losing their job in the office. All the other kids are behaving a certain way in school. But this person is different. What, what is that? What is that? That is the salt effect. That is the seasoning effect that a Christian who is walking with the Lord can bring to a situation. And a little bit can do a lot. But there's a warning that comes with the salt. It says here, But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Can you salt salt if it's not salty enough? No. It, what if salt loses its ability to provide that savor? If it does that, it loses, because it's no longer what it ought to be, it loses its value. It loses its effectiveness. And there's a warning here. Jesus says you are salt. You are to season all of those situations by bringing the Lord into the into the the darkest times that people have that you may come across or into the everyday things. He says, I want you to have a seasoning effect, but there's a danger that you'll lose your seasoning effect. How does somebody lose their seasoning effect? Well, it can happen uh, because of losing your, your testimony. That's a church phrase, but it's losing your reputation. It's by behaving in such a way that you, you can't really talk to people about the things of God anymore. I, I have a very close friend and and he openly shares this story. He went into school to become an airplane mechanic, actually um, avionics. He went past that and does all the electrical stuff. I'm glad that somebody knows what's going on with all of that. And he went to school for that. But before that, he was in Bible college and he was surrounded by good influences and, and wanted to see people come to know Christ and to have all the fulfillment in this life and eternal life in the next. And he was around the guys in the shop all the time. And, and little by little, he started to act just like the rest of them. Use their language went out to smoke with them. They'd go out and drink after hours. They, and, and so he started to lose. And the Lord began to deal with him about this. And he realized these guys are all lost. They don't, they don't know Christ. They don't have a relationship with God. And he, he realized because of how he acted in the classroom, in the shop, that he now had no ability to go in to speak to them and say, you need to trust Christ because he'll make a difference in your life. That's one of the ways that people can lose their, their savor, their seasoning ability. Sometimes it's fear. You're afraid to say something. Because we live in a day and age where the very worst thing that you can do to anybody is offend them. Right? We live in a day and age where that's just about the worst thing. And if somebody says, well, that is offensive, we're supposed to just run away and, and hide when somebody says that. I have news for you. If you're here today... We, we don't want to offend you. Perhaps if you're a guest here, we don't want to offend you by being offensive, but the message of the gospel is offensive. You know what? I, I sat right over here as a young man and, and Pastor Jenkins was in this pulpit and, and he told that I, like all everybody else that was a, a man or a woman who was born of this race, was a sinner. He told me I was a sinner. Do you think I liked that? I didn't like it. He didn't like it right? Nobody likes being told that they've done wrong. But friend, if you don't realize the dangers 
of that pathway, the destruction that comes at the end of sin, you'll never seek any remedy for it. Just like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to take this medicine. Well, well, why should I take it? Don't worry about that. Take this medicine twice a day with a meal and make sure you finish the entire course of it. You need to take this medicine. There's some side effects, but you need to take it anyway. You're going to say, wait, why? Wait, don't, don't worry about that. Well, are you going to take that medicine? I hope not. Get a different doctor, right? If they don't tell you what's wrong, it says, oh, you have a, a life-threatening condition, but this is the remedy for it. And so, friend, we don't want anybody to be offended, but just like I was offended being told that, that I was a sinner, the truth of it is, it, I am. Every time God says, don't do something bad, and we do it anyway, that, that's sin. And every time God says, do something good, and we say, I can't, I can't be bothered with that, that's, that's sin. And so we don't want people to, to be uncomfortable, and so sometimes we're afraid to bring anything up. We're afraid to talk about the Lord. We're afraid that they'll think we're one of those Jesus freaks, right? You're like, oh, you're one of those people. I've actually started using that when I talk with people about the Lord. I was talking with a, a young lady uh, who was helping me with something in, in Walmart in the electronics section. And after she helped me find what I wanted, I said, I, I wanted to, to speak with you just for a moment about, about Jesus Christ. And she kind of looked at me funny. I'm like, yes, I am one of those people. <laughs> And, you know, usually they're not so freaked out when, when you start, you know, inviting them to church and telling them how the Lord changed your life, that you're not asking them to handle snakes or do anything bizarre. You're just inviting them to know Christ as their Savior. But it still can be fearful. That's one way we do it. Laziness. Somebody else will tell them. Somebody else will stand up and do what's right here. Somebody else will tell the truth. Somebody else will take the, the knock for this one. I, I just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to do my own thing. And really doubt that you could make a difference by saying something. All of these things are ways that we lose our seasoning effect. So in the best biblical sense of it, we need to stay salty. We need to stay salty. Verse number 14, not just salt, but he says, you are the light of the world. The light of the world. What does light do? Well, it shines and it reveals things. I want you to think about the last time you stayed in an unfamiliar place overnight. Maybe it was a hotel. Maybe it was somebody's house where you were staying for a while, maybe it was a, a, an Airbnb or a Verbo or something like that, and you woke up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and you stumble over everything trying to find the bathroom. You stub your toe and you trip over your suitcase and, and you, you bang into the door when you're trying to get through the door frame into the... You say, what, what's going on? Well, if you had turned on the lights, first of all, your wife probably or your husband would have been mad at you for doing it, but if you turned on the lights, you would have been able to see all of the things in that room that are dangerous obstacles that you did not see before when you were in darkness. In the same way, we are called to shine, to behave in such a way where we reveal what people need to see of the dangers of sin around them. And he uses this idea of a city on a hill. Think about being in that valley where the Sea of Galilee is, there's hills coming up off of it, and there's, there's cities and villages nestled in there, and as it gets to, to nighttime, they're going to have lamps, they're going to have candles lit, and people are going to be able to see them. How far away? From quite a distance. You'd be able to see across the Sea of Galilee in many places in order to see those, and, and you could almost imagine in your mind's eye that Jesus was pointing and giving the example of, you see that city over there? You see that one that cannot be hid because of how bright it is. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. This goes back to that same idea of loosening your seasoning. 
is hiding it, hiding your light. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. So in those days, uh, they didn't have electricity, obviously, and oil is expensive. And so if somebody lit a candle in order to, for them to see, by the way, they did something really weird when the sun went down. You know what they did in Bible times? This is so bizarre. You know what they did when it got dark? They went to sleep. What is that, right? Who does that anymore? They wake up when it gets light and they go to bed when it goes to sleep. That kind of shows you perhaps the Lord has uh, more sleep that we ought to be getting than we are if that's indeed how he designed things. So they would light a candle because it was hard to see inside. And if you lit a candle because you were having trouble seeing and you needed light, would you then go put like a bucket on top of it or a basket or a clay jar? No, that, that's not why you do that. It'd be like walking into a dark room and taking out your phone and turning the light on on your phone and then putting your hand over it. Well, what was the point of that? It's ridiculous. That's what Jesus is saying, that if you have this light in you and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have light in you. Look in, in 1 John, or excuse me, John 1, not 1 John. Look in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. God became a man without ceasing to be God and dwelt among us. And that is who Jesus Christ is. It says, in the beginning, in John 1, in verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. One of the things about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is the light. We sing a song. The light of the world is Jesus, right? He is the light of the world. He is, uh, we live in a, a dark world. I don't need to convince you of that, do I? That we live in a dark world? I mean, you can turn on the news, you can scroll on your, your social media feeds, and it's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing that's going on. Always something that, that's wrong. No doubt, right? that we live in a dark... Don't we need some light? Isn't God good that he doesn't just leave us in this dark world that we made for ourselves? We broke this world, by the way. God gave us a perfect one. In fact, he said it was very good, and he knows what he's talking about, being that he's God. And our sin cursed and ruined this world as we as a race rebelled against him, and we brought with us uh, the curse of sin upon this world. This isn't what the world that God made for us, unfortunately. It's the world that we made for us. If you wonder why broken things happen in this world, remember... Mankind broke it. And so God doesn't just leave us in it, even though we made this bed and we ought to sleep in it. He, in his great mercy and in his great grace, sent the Lord Jesus Christ down to be that light to show us that there is a way back to God and a different life to be lived on this earth. And his life, his love, his light is shed abroad through the hearts of his believers. God has it, and by his spirit that lives inside of you, believer, you can have that light and you can shine. Very much like the moon. Did you know that the moon doesn't actually shine of itself? It doesn't actually glow? Some of you are like, what? Conspiracy theory? No, no, for real, it doesn't. It reflects light. Anybody know where it gets its light from? The sun, right? That's where the, the moon gets its, its light from, is it reflects the light from the sun. And in the same way, you and I can reflect that same light and are called to do that. And so it says we don't put it under a bushel, 
We don't put it under a basket or a container. It says, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light, light unto all that are in the house. We put it up somewhere. We perhaps put it on a, a, a candelabra or maybe a, a hanging light. How many of you have ever been in a place where all they lit the room with was candles? Maybe you traveled out of the country, something like that. Yeah, there are still places like that around the world today. And so it brings light to the whole house and it shines. We don't hide it. We're to show others who Jesus is and what he said and his salvation. In verse number 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You can't just season by yourself. And you can't just shine by yourself. Ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This means that God intends for you and I as his followers to make a difference in this world. He doesn't intend for us to just keep the blessings that we have received to ourselves, but we're to send it forth. Not to just keep our heads down, but to season every situation and every circumstance to shine in all of those opportunities that he gives us, to be faithful with what he gives us. He wants us to make a difference in people's lives. Not simply in institutions or governments or programs or organizations, but for people, for people. So why, why do we do this? Well, I want you to know it's not so everybody says, wow, what an amazing person. That person is such a good Christian. She's amazing. He's amazing. No, we're supposed to do it for two reasons. One, so that they would see our good works and glorify our Father that is in heaven. You know what? It's not about us anymore. If you know Christ as Savior, you've been given a great gift that cost a great price. And you've been bought with that price. And you are no longer your own. I want you to know if you're here and you're visiting today and you don't know Christ as Savior, something amazing has happened in the life of every believer. They have received a great gift. Their sins have been forgiven. They have been washed away. Jesus Christ paid an immense price when he laid down his life on the cross. He didn't die by accident. It wasn't a tragedy. He laid down his life as payment, as sacrifice, because sin is so awful because rebellion against God is so terrible, nothing could make up for it, nothing could cover that, except for the blood of God's Son, which he shed on the cross. Praise God, he didn't stay dead, but on the third day he rose again because death could not hold him. And the life that is in Christ, that is that light that you and I have, that life is the life that we have. And by God's grace, we now have overcome death because he's overcome it. And so we have eternal life. But that came at a great cost. And because God paid that price and willingly paid that price of giving his only begotten son for you and I, we now belong to him in a very real sense. He's adopted us into his family. We've been born again into his family. We've been made not just servants, but we've been called sons and daughters. And so now we owe something to him. We owe something to him. And so it's not, it's not okay for us to just sit there and live our lives unto ourselves. He wants us to change the world by changing the lives of those around us. And so we do it so that he looks good because he is good. That's what it means to glorify God. Help him to look as good as he really is. That people might know how loving he is. That people might know how wise he is, how powerful he is, how generous he is. Because they don't know that. They don't see that. They don't understand that. And when his children act that way and say, oh, where did you get that from? What's different? Oh, my father taught me how to do that. My father was the one who set that example for me. My father was the one who taught me to help people when they were hurting, to give when people had a need, to be kind, 
to tell people about how they can have eternal life, to stand when it's awkward, to stand because it's for the best, for people to know the path that they're on is taking them to destruction. My father's the one who told me that. When we glorify God, we help people see how good he is because he is that good. The second reason we do it is that we want to shine so that others would come to know Christ and that they would be encouraged in their walk with Christ. How do we do that? Do our words make God look good? Do our words make God look good? The things we speak and say when we're at home, when we're with our friends, when we're at the job site, when we're at the store. You don't, have you ever seen somebody just lose their mind in a store? At a cashier or because something that they wanted wasn't on the shelf or, I mean, have you ever seen somebody just lose it? You know, and then you get in your car and everyone's like, oh, that's the person that lost it. And you start driving away and they look at the bumper and it says Columbia Road Baptist Church on it. <laughs> no, that's intentionally, we don't give out bumper stickers because I've seen some of you all drive. I know the first time I cut somebody off or give somebody a one-fingered salute while I'm driving, it's going to be a church member. So I have to drive very carefully. We all ought to do that. We all are the ones who are representing the Lord. And so our words, our actions, wherever we find ourselves, we need to make sure that they make God look good. If your life, whether it's what you say or what you do or how you do what you do, if it is not making God look good, then it's time to change something. It's time to change something by his grace. That's the difference that we need to make so that there is a difference in the end. Doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result is most certain to disappoint. So how do we specifically apply a few of these things? Let's draw a few things down. First of all, I want you personally to recognize that you are meant to transform people's lives. You. You. Not just Pastor Steve. Not just myself. Not just the deacons and the Sunday school teachers. You. Because you have been given something that we have not been given. You've been given a set of experiences. You've been given a certain upbringing. You've been given a certain job. You've been given a certain sphere of influence. Uh, there's a bunch of people that you will see this week that I will never meet, whether that's in a doctor's office or in a grocery store or in a restaurant or perhaps it is some of your family. As we start getting to this season of holidays, we're going to be seeing people. I will probably never have an opportunity to meet all of those people. But wherever you go, the light goes with you. Wherever you go, the seasoning goes with you. And so you're called to change the world one person at a time, to change their lives and to change their eternities. See, we're in this for more than just people having a happy life. We want them to have eternal life. And I'll tell you what, if you have eternal life, no matter what this life is like, it's going to be okay. You have to come back for the sermon tonight. Uh, we're, we're talking still about under the sun, and there's one thing that you can do with your money that will ruin you and ruin your family after you. But also inside of that, um, we, we find out that there's more to live for than this world. And when you just live for this world, boy, do you miss out. We also find out that once God fills you with that joy that comes from serving him, this life seems very short and very small. I promise you, when we get to heaven, believer, you're not going to think all that much about your life. Perhaps you've seen movies or heard pop culture ideas where you're going to sit there and revisit your whole life and you're going to sit there and think about what you... 
once we meet Jesus, we're not going to think about that that much. I want you to think about your days as a very young child. You go there all the time, often. I mean, sometimes maybe you go back there, but you, you probably don't think about it all the time. I think it's going to be even more so in heaven when we think, oh yeah, I remember when we were, when we were there, before, before Christ gave us this new body and this eternal life. Yeah, I remember that. But there's so much better to look forward to. So let's live for what matters. There's, there's many things that people give their lives for that you cannot take with you. Right? How much of your money do you get to take with you to heaven? No? What about your diplomas? How many of your diplomas are going with you to heaven? No? No? What, what, what about your bank account and uh, your por stock portfolio? You probably want to leave it behind now. What about the corner office? What about, what about the titles? You see, those things, though not bad in and of themselves, are far too little to live for. And they're fading because they're of this world. And this world is passing away. People are eternal. Invest in people. Recognize that you were made by God to transform people's lives. Second of all, season every situation. Season every situation. We're called to be salt, and remember, it, it preserves and it purifies, it creates thirst, and it makes things better. It seasons. We should do that all day, every day. At home, at work, at school, in the classroom, whether with our friends or service providers or stores or restaurants. Think to yourself, how can I add some gospel seasoning to this? Well, you know what one of my favorite phrases are for that? You know, that reminds me of, I like using that phrase when I talk with people. They'll start talking about something and, and I'll be listening. I'll say, you know what, that reminds me of something I read about in my Bible this morning. You know, that reminds me of something that I heard from our pastor this past week. You know what, that reminds me of something that I heard in a, in a song about, about the Lord. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of a person that I met that, that really helped me to know God better. You, you can just take every conversation and sort of turn it to that. Do, do you know, do you know how to tell whether or not a person is a vegan or that they're involved in CrossFit or that they're involved in a multi-level marketing scheme, I mean company? Just wait, they'll tell you. They're going to, we're going to work the conversation around to it eventually. You'll know it ought to be like that with us as we try and bring light and hope and seasoning to each conversation. Lastly, shine. Shine. Jesus called that crowd that was around him to be light, to reveal who God is and what Jesus Christ can do for them and has done for them. He calls us to be lights too. You can't hide and shine at the same time. Rise and shine, perhaps. Hide and shine, no. And so you and I have to realize that the day is dark and the time is far past and it's time for us to shine. It's time for us to be the lights that God has called us to be. You say, that's not going to make me comfortable all the time. Nope. In fact, if you're comfortable all the time, you're probably doing it wrong. I can still tell you to this day that I get uncomfortable talking with certain people at times. I get a little intimidated or a little nervous about it. That's not unusual. That's spiritual warfare, friend. There is something beyond just maybe they won't like me going on there. 
There's an enemy who would like to keep them captive and a savior who would like to set them free. And they are in battle with one another. We're to cast that light on people's way to the Savior, and we're to do so and to do good in such a way where people say, their God must be different. Their God must be different. I wonder, I wonder what it is about their church, and it's not their church. I wonder what is it about them, and it's not them. It's the one who has made their lives different. It's about bringing glory to God, not to ourselves. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? Perhaps you're here today and somebody invited you or maybe you had an invitation come through the internet and, and you showed up or you just saw the sign when you were driving past and, and you came. I don't know what it might be. But you're here today and you say, I'm not really a church person, I really don't know all this about Jesus, and I, I, don't, really know, um, I don't really know much, but, but what you've said has gotten my attention. And the idea of heaven and hell, and the idea of eternal life, and living for more than this life, how the things of the earth don't satisfy, maybe that's gotten your attention. And you say, I don't, I don't know for sure that I'm... I'm saved. I don't know for sure that I'm a believer. I don't know for sure that heaven's my home, but I'd like to know. I'd like to be sure. I'd like to have peace. This isn't a question about what church you belong to or don't belong to or whether you've been baptized or christened or catechized or anything else. This is a simple question of, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you been born again into God's family? Has there ever been a time when you prayed and asked Jesus to forgive your sins? and be your Savior, believing that he died for your sins and rose from the grave. Would there be anyone here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, and I'm not going to come to you, I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you, just between you and me and the Lord. Would you mind slipping your hand up so I can pray for you and just say, I'm not entirely sure, but I'd like to be sure. Is there anyone like that would say with an uplifted hand, I'm not entirely sure, but I'd like to be sure. Amen. I see your hand. So does the Lord. Thank you. You can put them down. Anybody else say, that's me. I'm not entirely sure, but I'd like to be sure. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and, and sing a song of invitation. And while that's going on, people, there's a, someone getting baptized today, so people are getting ready for that. But I'll be down here at the head of this aisle, and you can just slip out and say, as others are coming to pray, and say, Pastor, I, um, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to know. I'd like to have confidence in that someone will take you aside a gentleman with a gentleman a lady with a lady speak to you privately and show you how you can know without a shadow of a doubt that christ is your savior believer are you seasoning the situations around you or have you lost some of your savor are you shining as the light you ought to be or are you hiding there's probably some of us here today that would need to say I've been hiding. Lord, help me to shine. I've been playing it safe. I've been worried about offending people. I've been worried about getting into trouble. And I just haven't been talking about the Lord or sharing the gospel. Because it's just easier for me to keep my head down. But Lord, help me to shine. Would there be somebody here with every head bowed and every eye closed and say, that's me, Lord, help me. Amen. I see your hand. Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. You say, I'm having, I'm having conviction over that. 
Anybody that might say, Lord, I haven't been the person I ought to be. I haven't said the things I ought to have said. I haven't behaved the way I ought to have. And, and I've lost some of my ability to seize in my situation. Lord, would you restore my testimony? Would you restore that to me? Just between you and me and God, no one looking around, you say, that's me, Father. Help me. Help me restore that testimony. Amen. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Help me to restore that testimony. Amen. Praise God. One more. Anybody? If God is speaking to your heart, I want to encourage you to say yes to him. Perhaps you need to come and make a concentrated decision, an effort of prayer here at this altar. You need to come and speak with me about salvation. Whatever it might be, let's say yes to the Lord. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people and those that you're calling to be yours, to be your sons and daughters. May they say yes to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.